there are intangibles that happen in the classroom that in a way are more valuable than any of that academic skills. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, a question that we sometimes get is, are you Canadian? No, I am not Canadian. And, of course, I know that you're not Canadian. Yes. You grew up not too far from where I grew up, as it turns out. We never crossed paths, though, until many, many years later. But I do know you're not Canadian. You grew up in Southern California. But why do people ask that question of you? Well, for many years, when I would teach the Teaching Writing Instruction Style Seminar, I would say, I learned this in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so because I didn't specifically say I went to Canada to learn this, which probably would have been clearer, they just kind of assume, oh, Mm -hmm. must be Canadian. Uh, But no, I encountered uh, Dr. Webster in the Structure and Style program along with his aunt, Mrs. Ingham, Mm -hmm. and her daughter, Shirley George, and this team of people. The first time I went to Canada was the summer of 1990. Okay. My wife went with me, and I remember she was quite pregnant Mm. with a child. And I went because we were both working for a small school in Montana, and one of the teachers there was Canadian and was really talking up this thing called the Blended Soundside Program of Learning and how we really need to all go to Canada and learn this thing, and it'll make our school so great. And it was a very small school. So, yeah, I mean, it was about eight of us, I think. That was the entire faculty of the school. Wow. And uh, we traveled to northern Alberta, tiny little town up there called Gruard at the Alberta Vocational Center and stayed for two weeks and uh, took this two-week teacher training course. And it was divided into uh, two tracks. One was for kind of the primary reading and writing, Mrs. Ingham's bailiwick, first grade. Mm -hmm. And then the other was the writing track, which was primarily Webster and structure and style and composition and application to higher grades. And so we we went up there, and it was just absolutely life-changing. Some of the sessions were done together. Mm -hmm. So there was, you know, like core things were done together, and then we would break off and and do that. But uh, I remember meeting Mrs. Ingham, and she was pretty young then. She must have been late 80s. <laughs> um, right. Or maybe early 80s. I, mean, I can't mm-hmm. remember. But mm-hmm. she just had this ineffable joy and excitement that you could tell when she taught school. Those kids must have just loved it because Mm -hmm. she was just this positive, enthusiastic, encouraging, 
joy-filled, dance-and-sing kind of old lady. Yes. <laughs> and one of the things that she talked about a lot was, you know, yes, you're teaching children to read mm-hmm. and to write and to do math and to learn things, but there are intangibles that happen mm-hmm. in the classroom that in a way are more valuable than any of that academic skills stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she would always drop this in and give little illustrations of mm-hmm. these intangibles, mm-hmm. which were mostly, you know, for her, focused on independence, like children quickly becoming independent in choosing activities and using their time well during the work period where she, you know, had the whole room full of first graders doing different things Mm -hmm. at the same time, which sounds scary to Mm -hmm. a lot of teachers, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Or responsibility, simple things like putting things back where you got them from. Uh, You know, she was old and she was very old school Mm -hmm. and she didn't even use words like character or virtues. Mm -hmm. That was just kind of a given. During her whole life, that was... Part of the job of schools Mm -hmm. was to inculcate good character and and virtues. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't as though she even had to use the words. She would just give little examples of how the environment that you create can do that. So that, of course, is our theme for today is talking about the intangibles. But now here we are. And I want you to know, and I know you know this, but you probably don't realize how much later it was, I went up to Gruard 17 years later. This is when I first started working for you. And yes, made that long drive from the Edmonton airport (laughs) up to Gruard. It took me longer to get from there than to fly. You you know you're far away when it takes you longer to drive from the airport to your destination than it did to fly to the airport. Yes, indeed. And I was so concerned that I was not going to get there before sunset, but I went there in August. As far as I know, it didn't really set. That's how far north it was. But of course, I had the opportunity to meet with Mrs. Ingham and listen to her talk about the intangibles. And of course, that she is in some ways our our matron, our founder of what we do here. So I just wanted to take a moment and spend some time talking about to today's teachers who are learning from you, the teaching, writing, structure, and style, or the students who are learning how to write with the structure and style for students' materials. What are your goals as far as the most important things that you're teaching the students? Of course, reading, of course, writing, of course, thinking. But what are those almost surreptitious activities that are happening that these students are learning? Well, there's just, there's many layers of that. You Mm -hmm. could look at the the social layer and say, well, how do kids learn to listen to each other Mm -hmm. and respect Mm -hmm. what other people are saying Mm -hmm. and respond appropriately to what their peers or teachers have said? And they don't necessarily know that. So it's you know a little bit about modeling. So uh, the teacher's primary job is to be an example. Mm-hmm. And so when we can listen respectfully and we can respond appropriately to what children say or ask, then other children hear that. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I'm, I try to be very careful mm-hmm. not to come across as, well, that was kind of a dumb idea, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, even if it's immature, mm-hmm. you know, okay, that's the best the kid can do at this mm-hmm. moment or mm-hmm. something they write that's mm-hmm. just kind of goofy. Well, that doesn't help anybody to say, well, that's really goofy. <laughs> right. You know, what does help them is to say, what do you like about it? Mm-hmm. And then maybe on the end of that, a suggestion. But we, we generally find in life, whether it's, you know, a relationship with a spouse or their family members or coworkers or even in the public forum, mm-hmm. if we react, then people react back and it's just very reactive and unpleasant for everybody. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we can say, I hear, I appreciate, I understand that, I, I appreciate, then then the doors for better communication, mm-hmm. for better social experience mm-hmm. open up. And, you know, the great teachers that I have had the privilege of being around, Mrs. Ingham being one, Dr. Mm-hmm. Suzuki being another, mm-hmm. there's probably a few more, mm-hmm. I, I, Glenn Doman mm-hmm. maybe, they had that. Mm-hmm. They had that just deep level respect mm-hmm. for everyone no matter how small, no matter how young or old, uh, no matter how sophisticated or unsophisticated. And so I think I've, I've really wanted to be an example of that mm-hmm. as much as possible. So there's that social environment that's, that's pretty intangible. And again, you could lecture kids and say, don't talk while someone else is talking and raise your hand if you want to talk and mm-hmm. be sure you don't say anything offensive. And it's just it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way mm-hmm. because they'll learn by example mm-hmm. far more than they would ever learn by, you know, instructional principle. You know, mm-hmm. the word instruct, you know, one of the Latin meanings of the of the verb it comes from is to pile up on. Mm. Okay, great. You know, so, ah. you know, to teach, the word kind of means to draw out. Mm. Uh, instruct kind of means pile upon. I mean, so we have to be careful, I mm-hmm. think, not to pile on mm-hmm. too much that doesn't matter, that doesn't sink in, that mm-hmm. isn't received. Then, of course, you know, there's the whole area of how do you work with one other person? Oftentimes in an education setting, whether it's a classroom or even even a home environment, you may or may not immediately have good chemistry with the person that you're trying to do something with. Mm -hmm. And so how do you work that out? It's different than a larger social group because it's more specific. Mm -hmm. And I have often observed our classes where kids are pretty much randomly paired up Mm -hmm. with some other kid to go off, you know, stand in the corner or sit on the floor or sit at the table and talk through keyword outlines to right, each other. Right. And I, I love that time where I can just kind of look around the room and watch them mm-hmm. react. And I, I even have gone so far as to try and model how to tell someone information from a keyword outline. Exactly. Look yep. at the paper, think what you're going to say, look up at your partner's mm-hmm. smiling face, mm-hmm. and say what you thought, mm-hmm. and talk to the person not the paper. Right. And again, this is something you you have to model 
repeatedly mm-hmm. and then give opportunity repeatedly for the concept to really sink in and stick. Right. I asked this question of our customer service team, you know, yeah. what are some of the intangibles that you have seen come out? And that what you just described there was that respect, you know, being respectful of your fellow student is one of the things that they mentioned, which I thought was, you know, really, really great. Um, yeah. And in a way, it is easier to accomplish that in a mixed age mm. group. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in a class where everybody's, you know, the same age, plus or minus five months, they all kind of have this, like, we're equal, nobody's better than anyone else, we have to all kind of be the same. Because mm-hmm. if if I'm, you know, louder, better, smarter than someone else, then they're going to hate me. Mm-hmm. So I have to dumb myself down. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get that kind of phenomenon of kids all in the same age, they'll sink down. Mm -hmm. And nobody tells them to do this. This is just instinctive. They'll sink down to the lowest common denominator of vocabulary and ideas and concepts, even attitude and behavior. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a mixed age environment, which is where I've done most of my teaching, Mm -hmm. it does more closely resemble a family where siblings are you know, two or three or five years apart. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I really like a teaching environment where the oldest and the youngest are about three years apart and Mm -hmm. everybody's just in there. And then if if you pair up, first of all, you don't know that you're the same age. You may or may not know who's older. You can figure that out. But if you're with someone who's a year or more older, you kind of want to be your best around them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to imitate that. And then if you're older and you're around someone younger, you kind of have that feeling like, okay, I've got to be the best that I can be because I'm in the leader, teacher, big mm-hmm. brother, big sister mode. And so, uh, you know, for what we see a lot of, you know, particularly in kind of the homeschool co-op style class, I think lends itself towards cultivating better social interactions. So that'd be, you know, the one-on-one. The The third area would be the personal intangibles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember Mrs. Ingham telling this story about she had this library of books, mm-hmm. right? And this is, she, she lived and taught in Saskatchewan, which is not one of those pleasant weather places a lot of the time. Especially during the winter. Yes, it's cold. And so... You know, once the children, you know, they they would go from Sound City into the activities and then the discovery cards, and then they would graduate into library. Mm-hmm. And she had a nice big collection of books, and she would say, now you can take this book home, but I want you to put it in this plastic bag mm-hmm. so that it doesn't get wet, and if you drop it, it won't fall in the snow, and you want to take care of this because this book is a wonderful thing and we want to keep our books wonderful so everyone can enjoy them. Well, she's talking to first graders, right? Right, right, of course. And so she would say, now when you bring it back from home, don't forget to put it back in the plastic bag Mm -hmm. so that you can bring it back to class safely and then we, you know, we can use our plastic bags to protect our books. And she would use that as an example of teaching a small point of personal responsibility mm-hmm. to a room full of six-year-olds mm-hmm. for whom personal responsibility is becoming kind of a newer idea. Mm-hmm. Right. right. 
and and then she would say, well, you know, and sometimes a child would forget the plastic bag, and they would be very sorry. And she would say, well, it's okay. I have, I have another plastic bag. But next time, you'll do that for me, won't you? <laughs> right. And there's a huge difference between someone saying, you have to do this because it's the rule, mm-hmm. versus you'd do that for me, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Right. And it's that encouraging. Uh, and, and, and then the child is inspired, motivated to remember and exercise that level of mm-hmm. personal responsibility. Yep. You know, I know as a parent, it is very easy to kind of just fall back into this authoritarian mode. And it's mm-hmm. like, you have to do it because I said so. Why do you make your bed? Because I said so. Right. But no, why do you make your bed? There are lots of ways you could explain, but none of them can happen in the short period of time where you could say, because I said so, right? Right, right. Uh, but Mrs. Ingham just had that patience, mm-hmm. that incredible patience that it mm-hmm. takes. And um, so you you felt that way. Um, Webster was kind of like that too. He He had his checklists in his grading system. Mm-hmm. And the the one thing that that I initially just appreciated so greatly about Webster's system and the checklists for the stylistic techniques mm-hmm. and the models was that, you know, you could communicate to a child, here's exactly what the plan is. And, and you're going to have this many paragraphs, and each paragraph is going to do this job or follow this rule. And then there's this checklist, and you try to get these four dress-ups in each paragraph. Mm-hmm. But you don't just try. You do. Right. So if you need help, okay, fine. We'll right. help you. We'll work together. I'll give you suggestions. But there's that, there's that accomplishment, mm-hmm. that sense of accomplishment that was so refreshing compared to the fuzziness mm-hmm. of grading stuff. A letter shows up on your paper and you're not really sure why you got that letter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, you know, even in things like math mm-hmm. or or spelling or mm-hmm. something, you know, okay, you got 86%. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, are you happy about that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, well, it doesn't matter whether you're happy or not because you can't really do anything to change it. It's right. over. It's finished. You're stuck. Right. Or maybe, you know, you had a really bad day and you didn't study and right. didn't sleep well or somebody in your family was sick or you're sick and you did worse than 86%. Right. And then you're like, but I could have done better if I just had a chance. Right. And, you know, that checklist now gives them that guideline and, you know, back to what some of the feedback that we got from our team. The checklist came up over and over again in that it's teaching personal responsibility the check what you do and do what you right. check. Yeah, I, I love I love that phrase. That's I remember like, the first time I said it. Right, it was because you know there were kids who had turned in a paper and all the boxes were checked on the checklist, but they weren't all marked and mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. in the paragraphs. Right, and okay, I can understand that's an oversight, but we don't want to make right technical oversights. Right. And if you take the time, okay, mm-hmm. you've checked it. Okay, did you do it? Right. It's kind of like crossing off things on a shopping list when you don't actually put them in your cart. What's the point? What's Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, they did stuff, but they didn't 
indicate it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, there's the witch clause in there, but I can't find it unless right. I read every word of the paragraph. Right. Okay, the rule is you underline the dress up. Mm-hmm. And that's not just for me, the teacher, to make my life easier, which I do appreciate. And you say that to the students and all teachers who are listening to us, say that to your students. You can borrow that line from Mr. Poudoir. Make my life easier. Don't you want to make my life easier? Do what you check and well, check they what you may do. or may not. But, right. you know, that whole philosophy, which we apply to mm-hmm. stylistic techniques and indicators on sure. writing papers, is really something that is representing a much higher level of integrity. So exactly. if I said I did something and I didn't, mm-hmm. well, on, that's dishonest. Right. Even if there were extenuating reasons, oh, mm-hmm. well, I couldn't because, all right, that's maybe valid, but don't say you did it if you didn't. Right, exactly. You know, likewise, if you've got to do something that you can't do, then you have to go get help. Whose responsibility is it to ask for help? Well, it's your. Yeah. yeah. It, so, Own you know, your education. Right? Yeah. So yeah. if you give me a project and I can't do it, or I can't do it in a timely way, is my job to ask mm-hmm. you or someone for some additional help, manpower, mm-hmm. ideas, whatever. Clarifying mostly. And that's that's know. true in every work relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking, okay, how does school really prepare students for work and marriage and life? Mm-hmm. That issue of integrity to, you know, check what you do, Right. Be sure you've done it right and then do what you say you do and knowing when and how to ask for help when you need it. Right. That's probably way more important than whether you can write a good essay. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and here's another life skill that you teach in Unit 4, and that is limiting. Oh, yeah. Because you can't do it all, right? And that's a lesson in how to summarize, and it's also a lesson in life because if band practice competes with musical theater, you can't do both. I'm speaking of my son who wanted to do both. Mm. Well, I mean, if you'd let him off the hook for all the other subjects, maybe he could have, right? Oh, well, they practiced at the same time. Oh, I see. So it was just, <laughs> it was a logistical Correct. impediment. Correct. You know? Well, and, and, and another thing that came out besides limiting was um, time management. Procrastination is... Is there an epidemic of procrastinators out there? Oh, Is sure. there a club of procrastinators that never meets because they'll do it tomorrow? Yeah, well, there's there there's a balance there because there are there does exist a certain urgency and energy that comes from urgency mm-hmm. as you approach a deadline. Says a guy who tends to Well, no, we've all experienced that. Oh, yeah, me personally. Yeah. I, mean, I shouldn't we... I shouldn't say says a guy, says the room full of people. <laughs> so so we we understand that, mm-hmm. but then we also understand that as things get bigger and more mm-hmm. complex, we we can't necessarily wait to the last minute and do it as well as we should be able to. And so that means uh, the skill of taking a large thing and breaking it into small pieces. Right. And that's exactly what you do when you teach the super essay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly what we do when we teach unit one with keyword outlines. True. Is here's this big process called write something. Mm -hmm. And how do we break it into small, manageable steps, which sometimes even need to be done in different 
time periods. Right. And so with younger children, okay, we're going to do this first thing, and then we stop for a minute. Then we come back to it. We do the next step in the process. And, okay, maybe we're done, and we'll come back tomorrow and do the third thing in this process, and then we're finished. So we really, I think, model for children the idea of taking a large thing and showing them that a big, huge, long thing that has to be done is really a series of small steps. Yep. And that, again, that's a life skill. Mm-hmm. That's something that, uh, you know, if, if we hire someone here and we see that, that they can do a little bit of a project mm-hmm. and get it done in mm-hmm. a timely way, right. we super appreciate that. Right. Uh, than someone who, you know, doesn't work that way. And then, you know, we need to intervene and, you know, sometimes it it doesn't work out so well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we hate those conversations. Another skill that came out was organization. Like I think of the SSS and uh, how there's always a part where you tell the kids to organize their binders. And I think of those chaotic papers of flying nine-year-olds, <laughs> are they going to actually be able to do that? So Yeah, I think third grade teachers either sink or swim here. They either become masters of paper management for nine-year-olds mm-hmm. or they just quit and go away because <laughs> it's it's too much. Yeah. But, but the thing we hate about it is it's so time-consuming. Yeah. But you can't just say to someone, organize your stuff. Right. You have to show, Mm -hmm. you know, Okay, this needs to go here Mm -hmm. and this needs to go over here with these other similar Mm -hmm. things. It's the same as saying, hang your shirt up if it's clean and put it in the hamper if it's dirty. But if it's just on the floor, you don't even know. Right. Right. right? And uh, these these little life skills that children develop both in the process of doing schoolwork and in the process of growing up, have tremendous impact Mm -hmm. on what their life is going to be like when they move out of home and have to kind of be in charge of themselves that way. Exactly. Uh, Let me just tell you a quick story of when my son was getting ready to go to college, and we went to the office. Which son, I have to ask? Uh, The oldest. Okay. (laughs) Isn't it always about the oldest? Yeah. Maybe not in my case, but... Uh, we went to the office supply store, and I was just letting him pick out whatever he thought he needed. And this doesn't completely surprise me, but he pretty much modeled what he had been doing in high school, a separate notebook for every class with mm. the with the d- dividers so that he could organize his paper. And he knew to grab this binder for this class and that kind of thing. And I kind of walked out of there just shaking my head going, "That's that was actually really cool to watch him do that. Like. I taught him a skill that he's now using in the real world of college. And, you know, sometimes there are curriculums like study skills Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. try to do this very explicitly. Mm -hmm. And that can stick or not stick. Mm -hmm. But it's really what you grow up Mm -hmm. doing Mm -hmm. that you will carry off into adulthood. Yep, yep. I don't know if you have read any of Jordan Peterson's books, Mm -hmm. but in his first book, um, antidote to Chaos, 12 mm. Rules for Life. One of those is make your bed, yes. right? And and then there was that, or clean your room. I mm-hmm. think it was clean your room, make your bed. And then there was that Marine Corps general who gave that famous speech, you know, make your bed. And then in the second book, 
Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, it was Make Your Bed Isn't Enough because you have to go beyond just keeping things orderly because that's the foundation on which beauty can exist. Mm -hmm. And so he got into that idea of, you know, once you've got basic order in your room, then you can take a little corner of your room and try to make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. And and that's beyond just ordering. And, you know, I think I, I watch some of my children who are more inclined that way and think, isn't that lovely? You know, I can visit them and they have this attentiveness to order and beauty and that my grandchildren get to grow up mm, mm-hmm. in a home like that. Right. Because yep. not, not every home is. Yep. I know that for students, and this is just kind of ending on this organizational strategy and why this is so important, it is easier to learn when you are living in an environment that is clutter-free, that is organized. You know what the next thing to do is, those those boundaries, those clear expectations. You're going to be able to be more and, successful. You know, it's funny because computers have taken mm. over paper management, but in a way it's worse because there's so much more information. True. And you've got gazillions of pictures. You've got files out the ears. You've mm-hmm. got downloaded stuff that's all over the place. And the tools for managing that mm-hmm. are available. And you can, you can intuit how to use these tools, but you have to have the impetus towards organization. And mm-hmm. that is kind of like a, a talent that's developed mm-hmm. in the growing up period. Mm-hmm. And you do meet people who have unbelievably cluttered up screen desktops or one person I know has like 32,000 emails still on their phone. And you're like, why would you ever let that happen? Because once it's once you're into the triple digits, you know, how do you even get past that? Just close that account, delete it, start over again. You oh, no, but it. you'd lose something valuable. <laughs> so, you know, just, yeah. but I think, you know, our approach is very balanced. Mrs. Ingham's yep. school environment, Webster's approach, you yep. know, they're, they're old. They're old school. Mm-hmm. They have seen it all. Yep. And they understand you know, what do you do in first grade, mm-hmm. where, which is where Mrs. Ingham worked, so that you get a university student who's capable and competent of Graduate-level university, which yeah. is where Dr. Webster worked. Where Webster yep. was. And part of it is physical, and part of it is just mental organization. Yep. And I think we help with both of that. I think we do. Well, thank you, Andrew. This has been a delightful talk, kind of reminiscing and remembering those that uh, have gone before us in this educational pathway. So thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.